Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, happy Fourth of July weekend. On our worst day, we live in the greatest nation on earth. Let's say it one more time. On our worst day, we live in the greatest nation on earth. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Well, I've visited a lot of the other ones. Preached all over Europe, preached all over Asia, Scandinavia. I mean, I've preached in places all over the world. And on our worst day, we are still the greatest nation on earth. But how did that begin? How did all of this begin? Well, a few hundred years ago, there were some people who were called pilgrims, okay, who left Great Britain, England. They left and they came looking for Mexican food. No, they came looking for Indians. What did they come looking for? They came looking for spiritual freedom because in England, there is the state church, just like there is in Sweden. State church is Lutheran. In England, the state church is Anglican. In the United States, it's Episcopal. Same, same thing. And when you were born, you were born a part of the state church. You were charged taxes, all kinds of different things. And they wanted to worship freely. And so they left looking for God. And they established our nation. And they established the Constitution on the premise of a biblical worldview. Say that with me, a biblical worldview. Say it again. But why? Because that's what they came for. But man, have things changed. Let me say it one more time. Man, have things changed. Anybody talk back to your TV? They what? Who? They did what? They passed what? That what? Anybody do that besides me? I just wish once somebody would speak back to me and go, yeah, that's right. So let me show you how we got where we are from where we began. Our founding fathers had a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says this, certain things are right and certain things are wrong because the word of God says so. Do you know there's laws against bestiality? Human beings being involved with animals? Where do you think that law came from? Two guys in Dusan were sitting at the city council meeting going, man, what do you think is sick? <laughs> do you know where those laws came from? The word of God. A man shall not lie with the beast as with the man. The word of God. I'm stealing, lying, freedom. Freedom of speech. All of these things are biblical principles. Our nation was founded with a biblical worldview that said certain things are right and certain things are wrong because the word of God says so. Why did they have that premise? Because they understood that God made us. He made the world. He makes the rules and he knows what's best for us. That was the general assumption. From 1950 through to the 1980s, we began an abiblical worldview. Say that with me, abiblical worldview. An abiblical worldview says this, 
certain things are right and wrong because society says so. It's no longer because God's word says so. Boy, you don't want to get pregnant and embarrass our family. Boy, if you get caught smoking that marijuana, something's going to be wrong. That was before gummies. Why are you laughing about gummies? From 1980 to the 2000s, we began the next phase, which is an immoral worldview. Immorality says there's no such, certain things are right and wrong, but I don't care. So biblical worldview, certain things are right and certain things are wrong because the word of God says so. A biblical worldview, certain things are right, certain things are wrong because society says so. Immorality, certain things are right and certain things are wrong, but I don't care. And then from 2000 to today, we finally arrive at the worst place a culture can be. Amorality. There is no such thing as right or wrong. There's no such thing as male or female. There's no such thing as black or white. Y'all don't know this, but I am a physical bodybuilder and one of the greatest specimens on earth. That's how I declare myself. And I am what I feel, so that's what I am. I'm a rich, white bodybuilder and have the biggest house in Acadiana. On a bayou. The Bible says this. Certain, the, the Bible says it like this, because this isn't the first time this has happened. In Judges 17, 6, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. In other words, there was no leaders with authority, biblical authority, and everyone did what? What they wanted. Another translation says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Have you ever wondered how wonderful, intelligent, well-educated, smart people can make such stupid decisions? Have you? I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, there was a lady who was an astronaut that was caught up in a love triangle. Now, to be an astronaut, you have dedicated almost 30 years of your life of education, aeronautics, all kinds of difference to get to that place. And she was in love with someone, and I think they were somewhere like in Florida, and she was like in Houston, and she was jealous of somebody, and she jumped in a car and drove all the way to Florida. She didn't even stop to go to the bathroom. She put on a diaper. Now, we're all ultimately going to be there, so don't laugh. (laughs) To get there to do whatever she did to this other person who was in love with the person that she was in love. How many of you could say that's crazy? There are intelligent, educated people that do things that are absolutely crazy. And then this is the other thing. There's very simple, humble, uneducated people who are very wise and very happy. Like your grandparents. Like if they sold an acre of property next door, your, your papa went out and he shook hands with the man that wanted to buy it. They didn't need a contract. They didn't need a lawyer. They didn't need writing. They didn't need boundaries. Papa said it starts here and it ends there and he shook your hand and it's it. Like, like they weren't tormented by the media. They weren't tormented by other perverse desires. They worked hard and they came home. And at the end of the day, they were happy. Mama was there and They had the kids and all they wanted to do was prepare something for the children and the grandchildren and live a good life and love God. And they were happier than the people that have the most affluent things there are in the world. 
Why? It's not really very hard to understand. Each person makes decisions based upon how they view the world. We call that their world view. Your worldview is the belief that you build your life on, your values. For instance, do you lie? Boy, this is a scary look. I'm no longer going to ask y'all, did y'all like the message after that? Do you steal? Okay, if your next door neighbor had a hot wife or husband and their mate was out of town and they kind of liked you and you kind of liked them, it's two consenting adults. Those things are determined by your worldview. Your worldview is how you see God, yourself, and other people. It includes your perspective on all of life and reveals what you really are and who you really value. Your view of money, your view of morality, your view of time, your view of good and evil. Today, there are people that call good evil and evil good. That comes from their worldview. We all ultimately make decisions based upon our worldview. Here's the challenge. The challenge is many of us come to Christ later in our lives. Maybe you're 20 or 30 or 40. And you've already got all of these ideas programmed in your mind about how you view all of these things, all of these moral choices. The problem is the Word of God contradicts them. The Word of God contradicts them. And so you come and you, you give your life to Jesus and he comes to live inside of you. By the way, Christianity is the only religion in the world that actually believes their founder lives inside of them. And Christ is living inside of you. And now all of a sudden, issues come up of morality in a way that you've always thought, but you see God's word and it opposes what you think. Who's right? Who's right? Today's message is entitled, Your Worldview or The Word's View. Your Worldview or the, the Word's View. In a recent national survey on worldview, 62% of Americans claim to be deeply spiritual. Deeply spiritual. Now look at the statistics of what happens. What these deeply spiritual people said. 31% of them said, I make my moral decisions by what feels right and what feels right. Well, Tina Turner said, if loving you is wrong. Okay, so if that feels right, if it feels like I should have something that belongs to you and you're not there and nobody knows, it's just a white lie. It's just cheating a little bit. 31% said, I make my moral decisions based on what feels right. That means money, sex, lying, stealing is based on how I feel at the moment. 18% said, I make my moral decisions by what's best for me. 14% said, I make my moral choices by whatever causes the least amount of conflict with others. Only 16% said, I make my moral decisions based upon what the Word of God says. Do you know what that means? 
That means that out of 10 Christians, only one and a half actually say, whatever the word of God says about whatever moral choice that I'm making, God's right and everybody else is wrong. God's right and everybody else is wrong. So let me give you a vast array, four or five worldviews that people currently hold. Everybody here has one of these worldviews. Number one is materialism. Materialism says what matters most is money, possessions, stuff. Life is about acquiring things. The person who has the most things will be the happiest. There was a bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Somebody else got another bumper of the sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Jesus had an opposing view. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of. In other words, you're not your stuff. Do you know that right now I'm told that there are more storage centers with stuff in it than people actually have inside their homes? In other words, people have so much stuff they can't even, they got to rent a place to put their stuff because they can't put their stuff where it's supposed to go. Here's the second most popular view, hedonism. Hedonism is a worldview says whatever feels good is good. Remember that one? I do whatever feels right for me. Hedonism says the purpose of life is the pursuit of my pleasure. In other words, my feelings determine my values. In hedonism, pleasure is God. Man lives to please himself, and whatever pleases his becomes his God. It's food, it's sex, it's alcohol, it's hobbies. If your number one goal in life is to live for pleasure versus what right, you're a hedonist. If your number one goal is just to be happy, you're a hedonist. Proverbs 21 says this, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, watch this. Are you addicted to thrills? What does he say? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is what? It's never satisfied. That came from the wisest, wealthiest man that ever lived. Here's the third one, individualism. If materialism, money is God. If in hedonism, pleasure is God. In individualism, I'm God. I make my rules. I live by what I think. Individualism says I'm first. I'm looking out for number one. If I don't look out for me, who will? Sound like you've said that before. Okay. Individualism says I am number one. Advertising says it for you. Have it your way. We do it all for you. You deserve a break today. Think of yourself. It's all about you. Obey your thirst. God never created you to live for yourself. And that's why selfish people are the most miserable people. The Christian worldview says in Proverbs 18.1, the wisest man that ever lived again says, it is selfish and it is stupid to only... There's seven and a half billion people on earth. They're more important than you. Jesus said it like this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him 
Do what? Come on, you can't even read that on the board. Say, let him deny himself and, and, why doesn't it say, follow me, then take up your cross, then deny yourself? Because until you deny yourself, you're not prepared to take up the cross. And until you take up the cross, you're not prepared to follow the one who died on the cross. He's not asking you to die on the cross. He's just asking you to pick up the cross. He did the dying for you. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses? So what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Everywhere that Jesus took his disciples, they wanted to have an important dinner. Of course, after he was doing miracles and walking on water and Cajun miracle, turning water into wine. Not daiquiris, not margaritas. Just wanted to help some of y'all. And everywhere they would go, there would be a lowly servant at the front door. And, and they would take it because you were wearing sandals and it was dusty. And they, they would take you, your shoes off right there and they would wash your feet and then you'd go into the house. That was the custom everywhere they went. So they were going to this important dinner and they get there and Jesus pushes that servant aside and he gets down on his knees and he takes the towel and he takes the basin and he starts washing the disciples' feet and comes to Peter. He goes, no, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. I'll never allow that. And Jesus goes, okay, then you don't have anything to do with me. Next, he goes, no, then give me a shower. Shut up, let me give you your foot. And he washed his feet. And when Jesus got through serving them by washing their feet, listen to what he said in John 13, 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you The more you live unselfishly serving others, the happier you are, the more fulfilled you are. Happiness is a byproduct of living for others because that's the way God designed you to live, to love him and enjoy him and to serve others by making him known to the world around you. That's why we're having a serve day. We're not doing that because it's a school. We're doing it because we're the church. We're doing it because when we serve, we show the world what Jesus is doing and what he's like. Here's the next one. Collectivism. It's called socialism. It's where we are moving as a nation. Collectivism says government is God. Say that with me. Do you know why so many people aren't working now? Because they're getting a check from? They're getting a check from the government. Did your grandparents think that way? Did your great-grandparents think that way? Did the pilgrims get here waiting for a church service and a cheap check? No. There's nothing wrong with government. Government can be a good thing. In fact, God invented government. He created three institutions, the family, the church, and government. But even though God invented government, people who don't know God make government God. And instead of looking to him, they look to the government. What is the biblical purpose of government? To protect freedom, to ensure justice, and to preserve peace. Jesus explained the limited role of government when he said this, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's and to God what belongs to God. So what do I owe the government? I owe them my respect of elected officials and my prayer. They definitely need my prayer. I owe my taxes. I hate it too. I owe them keeping the law. 
Do you know there's only two things that restrain evil from the earth? The Lord inside of you and the law outside of you. And do you know today there's a war on both of them? New Orleans has become the murder capital of the United States. Do you know why? Because there's a war on the Lord and there's a war on the law. Evil becomes unrestrained. It becomes unrestrained. So, Pastor, what do I owe God? My life. He made me. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all of those who live in it. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in, it's in heaven. Corinthians 6.20 says this, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your life is not your own. Say that with me. My life is not my own. Say it again. Who made you? So who does it belong to? Well, what is the word's view? You, you've, you've told us about these other worldviews. What is the word's view, Pastor Jacob? Romans 12:1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercy? I encourage you to surrender. Surrender yourself to God. And to be his sacred, what? Living sacrifices and in holiness experience all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideas and the opinions of. Look at me. If you agree with what the media says, you're wrong. If you agree with Hollywood says, you're wrong. If you agree with what the majority of Americans are saying, you're wrong. You know what's amazing? Ever since Roe versus Wade was, Dick Sporting Goods came out. We're going to send people to get abortions. You know what's amazing? Starbucks. Not one business has come out and said, we stand for life. You know why? It's not because they're not. It's because they're afraid to. Because they want to shut them up just like they want to shut you up, just like they want to shut me up. He says, stop imitating the ideas of the culture around you, but be inwardly what? transformed by the, through a total reformation of how you think this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful and satisfying life in his eyes. What does that mean? That means once I surrender to Christ, I not only give him my life, I give him my sin, I give him my future, I give him my mind so that this word begins to reprogram my mind so that the way that I view the world is the way he created me to view it from the very beginning. What is a biblical worldview, pastor? A biblical worldview is when I make a decision. The first thing that I say is, what does God want? What does God want? Now listen to me. How many of you married? Okay, come on, they're sitting next to you. You got to hold your hand. Okay. How many of you know that a smart decision when you're married, the first question is, what does my, what does my mate want? Smart decision when your children are children is, what do my parents want? As a child of God, the first time when I make a moral decision, I don't have to quite, should I lie? I don't have to pray about that. Do I have to pray about lying? Do I have to pray about adultery? I mean, yeah, but she's really good looking. Did I tell you that? He's got money. Did I tell you that? 
Many years ago, a beautiful woman was approached by a wealthy man, and he said, man, you are one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. She said, well, thank you. He said, man, what I would do to spend the night with you. She goes, who do you think I am? He said, how about for a million dollars? She said, a million dollars? He said, yeah, how about a hundred dollars? She said, what do you think I am, for sale? He said, we've already established that. I'm just trying to figure out the price. As a child of God, when it comes to moral issues, there is no price for which you sell out the truth of God's word. Why should God be able to decide what's right and wrong? Why? Why? Who made us? Who made the world? Who do we belong to? So who gets to make the decision? God. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means... Deuteronomy 6, 24, and the Lord commanded us to observe these statutes always to fear the Lord our God for our good that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day and it will be righteousness to us. And if we carefully observe all these commandments before the Lord as he commanded us, God's commandments are for our good. So biblical worldview is seeing life from God's perspective through his holy, infallible, never-changing word. So let's look today at some modern-day examples of the world's view versus the word's view. The first one, the sanctity of life. The world's view. It's a private choice made between a woman and her doctor to decide the outcome of the unborn fetus. The word's view. At the moment of conception, it's not a fetus. It's a human created not only in the image of his parents, but created in the image of Almighty God. Psalms 139, verse 13. Oh, yes, you shaped me from the inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me from the inside out. You know every bone in my body, exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. I look at an open book. You watched me grow before you, and the days of my life are prepared before I ever lived one day. The words of you, it's not a choice, it's a child. It's not a liberty, it's a life. 60 million babies have been aborted since 1973. If we attacked a nation and killed 60 million people, would God hold us guiltless? How much longer will God tolerate this? How much longer will he tolerate this? Listen carefully to me. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. This is a biblical issue. Pastor, what, what, what should I do if, if, if I've made, if I've sinned and done that? Simple. Ask God to forgive you and repent. God forgives all sin. I am so grateful God has forgiven me of all of my sin. 
I'm so grateful that God's forgiven me of all of my sin. All sin can be forgiven when confessed and repented. I want to remind you, God doesn't forgive sin. He forgives confessed and repented sin. Ask God to forgive you. Receive his forgiveness. Knowing that he loves you. And knowing that one day you will be reunited with that precious child just as we will with our precious Wesley who was run over at 20 years old. We will be reunited with him. Here's the second one. The sanctity of sex. The world's view. Sex is private and personal. An adult should be able to have sex with whomever they choose or how many ever they choose if the other adult is willing and consenting. What's the words of you? Let's remember first who created sex. Each time two people are involved together, a chemical is released in the back of their brain that bonds them to each other. Science now knows what God said 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote, when a man is joined with a woman, they become one flesh. They're joined together. The Bible is very clear that marriage is to be the, the, the foundation stone for all sexuality. Listen to what Hebrews 13, 4 says. Let the marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, and of a great price, especially dear in all things. And let marriage bed be undefiled, kept dishonored, for God will and the unchaste, all guilty of and and adultery. Adultery. If you are living in sexual immorality, listen, repent and ask God to forgive you and stop. Just repent and stop. Turn away from it. Number three, the sanctity of marriage. The world's view is if two people of the same sex love each other, why shouldn't they be allowed to share their lives together in marriage like other married couples? The world's view. The Bible is clear that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. The Bible is very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Genesis 2.21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, the part of his side, and he closed up the place of the flesh, and the rib, the part which the Lord God had taken from a man, he built and made up into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then Adam said, this creature is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and become united and cleave to his, and they shall become... For 6,000 years of biblical history, for 3,000 years of Chinese history, marriage has always been defined only between one man and one woman until a president and a Supreme Court decided after thousands of years, a millennia of time, that God was wrong and they were right. God created marriage. He has the copyright. And when government tries to hijack God's creation, Caesar is demanding what belongs to God. What does the word of God say? You shall not lie with a man 
as with a woman, it is an abomination. You say, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. Listen to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Paul writes this perverse Corinthian culture where stepsons are having sex with their mothers. Their stepmothers. And listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have share in the kingdom of God? Don't be. Don't be what? So if you believe something besides this, you're. Don't be deceived or misled. Neither the impure or the immoral or the idolaters or the adulterers nor those who participate in. Let me me say this to you. Listen carefully. In my family line is every single thing that I've talked about today. Abortion. Adultery, homosexuality. If you're here and you're new and you think, well, Pastor Jacob just saying this because he was raised in the church, I wasn't raised in a church. I was raised in a bar. I wasn't raised with the Bible. I was raised with the joint. Cheech and Chong discipled me. Pornography and Playboy discipled me. But when I became a born-again child of God, the reason that I lived the way I lived is not because I was always raised this way. The reason I lived the way I live is because I was raised the exact opposite of this. There was a, last time I preached this message a few years ago, a number of people who were opposed to what I was saying got up, walked out the church, cussed me out on the way out the back. If you decide to do that today, I'm sorry. We have a man up here with a gun that would be not be good. Also, I got Pastor Kelly from our campus at Simcoe. Come on, Pastor Kelly, stand up. Hey, he is the bouncer at his church. So I got a black man and a white man protecting a brown man. But, but look at me. And they got mad at me. All of you know people that don't like Pastor Jacob. Listen, do you know what my job is? My whole job is to preach the word of God. If I go against this book, I'm wrong. If he goes against this book, he's wrong. If Pastor Chris goes against this book, he's wrong and God's right. How many of you like getting packages? Come on. Okay. You like it when... UPS shows up at your door. Okay, look at me. That's what can Brown do for you. Look at me. Don't get mad at me. I'm called to deliver the package. When I deliver the package, if you don't like it, talk to the person that sent it. All I'm doing is telling you what it is. And the same way I preached against prejudice, and the same way that I preached against adultery, in the same way that I preach against lying and stealing. I must stand and speak as Jesus' word to a generation that is lost and blind and lost its way and the majority of preachers refuse to stand and speak at the very place where the enemy is destroying the world. Say, Pastor, are you mad? I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at the devil. He's the only one I'm mad at. There is a war on the creator of life to take him out of every place you can, God. Isn't it amazing? 
We got Pride Month. We got Black Month. We got Mexican Month. We got Donut Month. We got... When's the last time you saw Christian Month? Jesus Month? Huh? There is a war on the creator of life, God. There is a war on the definition of life through abortion. There is a word on the institution that God created to protect life, marriage, and the family. And now there is another war for people to choose to die on their own. In the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, we have the highest suicide rates recorded in history. It's not because we're at war. It's not because people are starving to death. It's because people have everything to live with and nothing to live for. We're like the foolish person that's mad at Ford because they pulled out the little book in the glove compartment and said you have to use premium gas and you want to use water because it's free. And you're putting water in your tank and you're mad at Ford because your truck's not running. This is God's ownership manual. And when you break it, you don't break it. You break you. You break you. What must I do to have a biblical worldview, Pastor? Number one, accept God's word as the final authority on all things that it speaks to. Which, by the way, can I tell you something? You're going to accept somebody's word. Can I tell you what the difference is? Well, my mama always said, and she's from Bro Bridge. Well, we're from Kankton, and in Kankton, that's what we think. But you don't know the people from Doosan. Look at me. One day, you and I are going to stand before God, the author of this word, and answer for every word in it. When you stand there, try bringing up Mama, what Mama told you. This word, I must surrender and accept it. Secondly, I must align my actions and my will with the word of God. Hey, you want to know what happens when people turn away from God? Just look at the world around you. Is that what you want for your family? Is that what you want? Number three, repent in all the areas where I've held views that are opposed to God's word. Repent means to see, to hate, and to turn away. It's like, I believe this. No, I'm turning away, and I'm following God's word now. I'm not going to follow the way that I always thought and the way in my mind it always was. And then finally, stand with God's word and God's family. Matthew 15, 12, 50, Jesus is looking at a bunch of people, including his family that have just come, and they said, hey, Jesus, there's a big crowd, but your family wants to see you. He stopped and he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Not them, whoever does the will of God. Today, how many of you want to have a biblical worldview. Raise your hand. Come on. How many of you realize you've had a lot of ideas that don't align with the Word of God? Come on. Raise your hand. I did. I did. I did. But look at me. 
Listen to Pastor Jacob. Listen to me. I love everybody here. The last time I preached like this, a group of same-sex people started a big thing on Facebook and pictures of me and all kinds of craziness and attacks. And Do you know who came to my defense? A lesbian woman that I ministered to who's looked at me and said, you're the closest thing to a daddy I have. She came to my defense because she knew that even though she wasn't living it, God's word is still true. Look at me. If my children are living in morality, God's word is still true and they're wrong. If I'm living opposed to God's word, God's word's still right and I'm wrong. But what happens if somebody close to us does something that's against God's word and we all of a sudden somehow think it changes God? It doesn't. You say, Pastor, don't you love those people like that? Absolutely. I pray they come here. This is a hospital for the hurting, not a palace for the perfect. If you got your act together, this is not the place for you. Go find that perfect church. It isn't here. Believe me, I know you. But if you want to take wherever you are and begin following God's way, this is a place. And the last thing I want to say, thank you, church. Thank you for supporting our church and allowing me to preach like this for the last 23 years. Unwavering. 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 Look look at me. Most popular preachers in America won't even touch these issues because they're more concerned about their popularity than the Word of God being exalted above their own opinion. Listen, I love them. I know many of them. They're my friends. But you know who I'm going to stand before? The same one you're going to stand before. And he's going to go, what did you do? It's my word. The very place the enemy was attacking. What did you do? What did you do? It's a war, a cultural war. And everybody that has the microphone says we're wrong. The lesbian lady who defended me spoke to the person who walked out, communicated with them online and said, you're mad because you went to a church and the pastor stood up and preached the Bible? You went to church. Are you mad at Cane's because they serve fried food? Or the mall because they're selling stuff? And to young Christians... Look right here, every person 25 and under. I know you have friends that are gay. I know you have friends that live in same-sex relationships. I, I, I got it. I got it. Look at me. God loves them as much as he did me when I was raised by a barmaid serving beer in my mama's bar every day. This is not about the love of God. This is about the truth of God's word that has not changed in thousands of years and your best friend, brother's, or sister's lifestyle is not going to change it either. Let God be true in every man a liar. 
How many of you believe that I'm saying what I'm saying with compassion today? Raise your hand. you believe that? Look at me. If you don't believe that, you don't know my heart. Every week I minister to people who are deeply confused in their sexuality, and I love them. I was molested, I understand. A lot of sexual brokenness in my family, I understand. But I am also grateful for the grace of God that can take you wherever you are and redeem you back to the very place that he made you to be from the very beginning. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the precious people that are here, that love your word, that believe your word. And Lord, I pray, I pray for special grace for people here that are now confused. They're now confused, that are torn. They love people just like I do, even in my relative family that are living a way that's opposed to your truth. Jesus, I pray for the grace to warm their heart, to bend their will to submit to your word, for we will submit to someone's word. Someone's word will become God. I pray for every person here And Lord, I pray for myself and others here that we would surrender to your Lordship. We would surrender to your word to follow you and obey you wholly and completely with all of our hearts. And Lord, that we would walk in compassion towards those who are broken, who are hurt, who are misguided or confused. And they wouldn't hear a terror, they'd hear a tear in the heart of those that represent you. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a junior high school. That day, the old Jacob died and a new one came to live inside of me as Christ resurrected me and I repented and turned away from my sin, the drugs, the immorality, the selfishness, the pride. I've had ups and downs from that day, but I've never been the same since the day Christ came to live in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. My sins were forgiven. And God began to reveal his plan and purpose to my life for which he made me. And he has a plan and purpose for which he made you. And it begins by knowing him, by being born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been Christian. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again before. But today, I want to turn away from sin through repentance. Today, I want to confess and turn away to turn completely to surrender to Christ. To know him for the forgiveness of sin, for him to come live inside of me. If that's how you feel, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand real high. I'm the only one looking. I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just praying for you right at your seat, right where you are. One, God brought you here. 
two, nothing is an accident. And today God is reaching out to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today can be your day. You begin your spiritual journey by being born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Anywhere? Yes, 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 yes. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? All right. Church, let's pray out loud with those who raise their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning.